The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you I am a boat Good morning, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionists, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, UV, WXYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. I'm the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys could join us uh, this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, sonsoflibertyradio.com or sonsoflibertymedia.com. In fact, if you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio. You can go to sonsoflibertymedia.com, scroll down just on the right there, and uh, you'll be able to pick up the feed there. You can also check us out on my Twitter account at FPPTim, FPPTim on Twitter, as well as our Facebook page, Bradley Dean SOL, Bradley Dean SOL on Facebook. Our YouTube channel at B. Dean Sons of Liberty, B. Dean Sons of Liberty on YouTube. Beforeitsnews.com, our friend Michael Roach over there has been kind enough to give us a spot right there on the front page each weekday morning at 6 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern. Bradley comes on in the afternoon every weekday, and then he's on for two hours, same time on Saturdays. And finally, you can check us out at DLive.tv at the Sons of Liberty, the Sons of Liberty on DLive.tv. And then if you're branching out on your social media networks, we're also available on Spreely, Gab, MeWe, Minds, and USA.life at Sons of Liberty or Sons of Liberty Media. Now, this morning we've got uh, actually two special guests and uh, glad to have them with us. Uh, I had an interview uh, with Deanna Lynn, uh, I think it was back in the first part of November of, of 2019, and I was really blown away by the testimony that she bore and uh, to see how God had really rescued her uh, from a life that was destroying her. And she wrote a book about it. It's called um, Purchase, Leaving the Sex Trade. And she was kind enough to send me a copy of that. And uh, I, I really enjoyed understanding more about what was going on there and the change that's happened. And we're going to take time to talk about some of that. Um, but we really want to focus on at least more than half the show the good news that comes out of it, not just telling all the things uh, that she was necessarily in, but the good that's come that God has brought uh, in her life. And joining us is Deanna Lynn and her husband, Matt. And uh, guys, glad to have you on the Sons of Liberty. Hang on just a second. I need to unmute you. Good to have you on the Sons of Liberty. <laughs> it's good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad that you guys could make time for us today. And uh, you guys are obviously, I mean, last time I, I think that uh, we had you on, uh, we did it by phone. 
and even your uh, the image that we had up there, you had you always had this. Uh, every time I was looking, I was like, this lady just has she must wear a smile all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And so I know that your life's been immensely impacted um, since you you've come to Christ. But let's help people understand a little bit of, of things here. Uh, just give people a brief introduction. We'll we'll go through a little bit of that, and then I want to I want to focus on some of the the really good things that that have happened that have come out of your life uh, from where you were. So take time and tell people a little bit about uh, yourself and what you what you were in, some of the things growing up, and then how you got into where you you were at. Sure. Um, first off, I just want to mention, if you hear any grunting and groaning, it's my 70-pound old English sheepdog just hanging on the couch with us. So sorry about that. Um, but yeah, uh, so a little bit about where I came from is, um, you know, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. We didn't really have uh, much values there to, to lead us or guide us. And, um, and I actually grew up with a very sick mother who was an alcoholic and and abusive and stuff like that. And I think it was at a time where, where porn was becoming ex- increasingly acceptable. Um, but to her, it was so acceptable that she would um, show me and my sister. And I was like five, my sister's nine years old. And she thought it was appropriate to introduce us to sex that way, um, which wasn't the, the only way that she introduced us to sex. Like, for some reason, she wanted me to get real comfortable with that's how I was made. This is completely natural. And so anytime mm-hmm. her and my stepdad would come together, like she would set me up and um, have me like walk in on them, uh, stuff like that. And um, she just really found it funny to watch my reactions. And I, I never really knew the impact that it had on me, you know, until I was an adult looking back because you know, I'm, I'm eight years old. I I was running away from my home. I dressed myself as, um, Julia Roberts and, and pretty woman thinking like somebody would rescue me at eight years old. Um, and, and I was stripping for the neighbors when I was in like first grade and, and none of this seemed unusual in our home because that was just such an acceptable part. Um, and, and no other kids talk about it. So there was no one really to say like, Hey, that that's not okay. And anytime CPS came over, they just left and thought like, you know, they would take the porn with them. The porn would reappear. Um, and so it was hard throughout my entire childhood to, to think that this was something that wasn't going on in everybody's home. Okay. All right. And as that, uh, I guess, as that kind of grew, um, what is it that, uh, that, that became of it? I mean, you're, I can't even imagine being that young exposed to these things, uh, and, and being, especially by your parents. I mean, most kids, even teenagers or whatever, if they're involved in that, the mom and dad are, you know, usually on them. So what does this, what does this lead to in your life? Yeah. Um, so by the time I was in high school and a teenager, um, I thought basically that's what being a woman was. And so I applied for a job at a, at a restaurant that flaunts women. And, um, one of their, their prizes for a competition, a statewide competition was to win a layout in a porn magazine. And so they would teach you like, this is acceptable porn. This is not acceptable. And so at 17 years old, I already knew that the world deemed like a certain way of selling sex acceptable and um, which was really confusing. 
considering like it all leads to the same place. And so by the time I was 18, fresh out of high school, I was already in prostitution and in the porn industry. And it took about 10 years to make my way back out. Okay. All right. So you, you, you got into this, um, and there's a, there's a long string of things and, and I'm, I apologize. My computer is kind of acting up. That's why some of the noises are coming out, but you, you got into this and you, you started down a road, um, of working in a restaurant. Uh, I know you, you don't want to mention what that is, but you worked in a, in a restaurant where, uh, people will recognize it, that, um, they sort of glorify women dressing kind of skimpy. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you moved into some other things like um, lingerie modeling, stuff like this. And eventually you moved in, into even deeper for you and it became even more troubling. Um, let people know just a little bit about that. And mm-hmm. uh, and then let's let's start talking about where you got turned around in that, because I know some other people. What we're going to do is we're going to put up the previous interview so that we can kind of skip some of that, because I really want to focus in on the good stuff that's come out. Uh, and that's why I asked if, if Matt could be there uh, with you, because I, I've seen some of your posts um, and I see how uh, you want to honor your husband. And it, the fact that you want to do that is not just it, it is a work of God for sure. But obviously, uh, he's the kind of guy that some men in our country <laughs> should want to be like. I think that's a good model. So tell people a little bit about what you got into, how how desperate you were and then um the change that that took place there yes um so what's interesting about about the industry is is i was led to it by a lot of different females right um so when i was working at the restaurant the girls would prostitute themselves on the side so they introduced me to that um we answered a a modeling ad in a local newspaper and we were modeling lingerie and swimsuits at these local like bar and restaurants, not thinking anything of it because that's pretty much what we wear anyways at work. And, um, and this beautiful, like classy Asian woman introduces me to a man who has alcohol on the table and, and he ends up becoming my pimp. Um, he starts with like, do you want to model for some local car, car ads and stuff like that? So I'm thinking like, here's my big break. Like I can get out of this. I can become somebody famous. I don't know. Um, and so they promise you like this whole life, but I, I, I still find it fascinating that it's like one woman who led you to the next person who led you to the predator. Um, and then we end up kind of becoming the predator for other women. Uh, so he was the one that ended up grooming me. Um, so it started out with some, like some car, car ads and stuff like that. And then he would like offer more money. He would bring drugs, he would bring alcohol. And by that time I was already addicted anyways. And, um, and really had nothing that I was aspiring to, um, at that point in my life. I didn't really, to be honest, I didn't think I would live past like to 21. Um, and so he kind of took advantage of that, always showed up in my life, like, like right when I was about to go to jail or something like that. And, um, and then he promised to make me a star and, and that's when he started training me to be able to handle what I would experience in the porn industry. And I figured that was, that the porn industry might be a safer option for me than being inside a hotel with a man in his car outside waiting with a gun. 
Right. And you had a lot of things that went on in there. By the way, do you keep in touch with any of the ladies? We talked last time and, and I asked you about were there were there women just like you that got pulled in there? Uh, and were there also women who actually just enjoyed being in that lifestyle? And I think you said there were some who, who actually enjoyed it. And there were other there were a lot that were like you. They were just they were miserable with with what they're doing. Um, do you still keep in touch with any of those women? Have any? Have you been able to? Um, I don't know. Uh, witness to them uh, the change in your life. Um, to a certain extent, I'm I'm still pretty pretty connected. Um, it's really hard because like I get I get phone calls or text messages about like you know like women after a certain age um, they just end they don't get a, get as much work and they end up going to a brothel and and they're sick and they don't, they don't have food and and um and they just say like like i i want a life like yours like they have hope that it's possible for other people but not for them which is really sad um and then they disappear for a little while and then all of a sudden the world's glorifying them and they're like in the AVN Hall of Fame and 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 then they're right back in that cycle again and it just breaks my heart because i know that um you know that you have to put on this uh image of this is the life that i want um and you almost like succumb to becoming your character and you lose like a huge part of yourself. And so I have some women that, that have made it out. I have some women that are, are still in there. Um, and then some that are kind of like in between, like not really sure which way they want to go. And it's just a long process. And so I think my biggest witness is just being available. And I just remember, um, I, I remember like a while ago, actually like yeah, years ago, um, just kind of hearing that the biggest witness that I can be is pursuing a life that has nothing to do with porn. Um, because as much as you would think like you get out of porn, you go and help people that are in porn, this and that. Um, what I wanted to see when I got out is that there was a different kind of life possible. And so the biggest witness that I can have is following that life and being available for when people are ready. And, um, and I still have people that I haven't even met that reach out to me and they say like, this is what we're struggling with, but we're not ready to get out. And I'm just there and I listen and I understand and I pray. Yeah, no, I, and I, I, I do believe that. And, uh, one of the things that, um, uh, you made mention of was you tried to get out on, I guess, several occasions. Uh, one, you tried to go with, um, uh, the issue of, uh, uh starting a gym, and uh, and and you talked about getting in some debt over that and this that and the other, and just nothing really worked there. But then you came across this uh, this this place called Refuge for Women. Do you want to tell people a little bit about what they are and how they really helped you? Yes. So, um, yeah, a lot of people think like once you get out of the industry, you just you know you start a new career and you just never look back. And and there are some verses that. Uh, if you read just a verse alone and not the like the whole story in context, you would think like, yeah, never look back. But like, like our God calls us to remember. And, and so um, remember what he saved us from. And so what refuge did for me at a, at a time where I was just like at a point where I, I didn't even feel like living anymore um, is they came in and they allowed me to look at exactly what it was that I was being delivered from. 
And um, they gave me a place where I didn't have to worry about hustling to make my bills um, come together. I didn't have to figure out like how to live with this tension of like, do they know who I was? Um, or are they genuinely interested in who I am now? Like there was a lot of paranoia and, and stuff involved. And it was just a safe place for one year where I could unpack the trauma from the industry and then the trauma before the industry and then learn how to recreate relationships that were safe because I couldn't tell the difference at the time. And I needed enough space from people to be able to, to see like, this is what healthy looks like. And th this is not. Right. Well, the the thing that got me was they opened this place up for you. And mm -hmm. I'm assuming they have a lot of donors to be able to take someone in for a year and mm -hmm. uh, and and work with them. Now, I know that you mentioned there were some things that they talked to you. You told me about um, uh, the re building relationships that you had never had something where somebody didn't want something from you. And yeah. uh, and they t you learned to do that. And they taught you how to, I guess, manage a home, so to speak, uh, there. You want to tell people a little bit about that as well? Sure. Um, I mean, you have classes each day. So you have everything from boundaries to um, there was a dating class that we really needed to take. You know, like these are the warning signs that they have this many chainsaws. You might, you know, might be a red flag. And we're like, wow, we never even thought of that before. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think the biggest healing experience there was getting to know the people and watching their marriages and sitting, um, at family dinners together. Uh, we all took turns doing chores and, and taking care of the house and, um, just kind of learning basic structure and domestic skills and, and then having a quiet enough place where we could dream and say, what was it that I wanted to do before porn or the sex industry hijacked my life? And, um, and kind of getting to that place where like you're a young girl again and, and pursuing some of those things. And some of those things you find out, you know, I actually really didn't like that that much. And then you just make a new decision and you kind of go after something new, but um, it's almost like being re-raised as an adult. Yeah, I was going to say it the way you're describing it. It's almost like they you went in there and you got new parents and they're kind of yeah. teaching you the things that parents normally teach their kids. Uh so I'm I'm glad to hear that. Now, <clears throat> you're an affiliate with them now. Um mm -hmm. what does that actually mean for you? <laughs> um every year it looks different. Okay. It's just I'm like, uh, you know, I think I think it's Hen Henry Blackaby that says find out where God is at work and join him. Yes. Um, like I don't have to start something new. And so each year different things come up and I participate uh, either at events or I uh, mentor some of the graduates. Um, but what's kind of cool is I actually, now that I've graduated the seminary, I get to mentor mentors. Oh, and hey. so I get to um, work with people that are working with the girls and, and kind of help help them to understand what it is that they're walking alongside because there's a lot of questions, you know, like why do they go back or what is the relapse rate or, um, you know, just a lot of things that come up that they haven't seen. And I can answer from both, you know, a theological side and from my experience. And that, that's been a really neat way. So I just kind of fill in the gap wherever, wherever one appears. Okay. All right. Now Matt's been sitting quietly over there. <laughs> We're going to get to him. 
How did you guys meet out of this? Uh, Matt, before, before you answer that, tell, tell people a little bit about yourself and, uh, and what it is that you do. And then you guys give the story of how you met out of this. Yeah, so I'm a, currently a chaplain at a hospital here in Kentucky and um, love that work. And when I went to seminary, didn't think that's what I would come out doing. But God always sort of puts the path in front of us and we just obediently follow it. But that's where we met was at seminary uh, our first year. Uh, we had a common group of friends and Deanna uh, would post these large meals uh, for a lot of our friends and being at a Christian seminary with a bunch of evangelicals, it would, uh, word would spread around and eventually she was cooking for 20 to 30 people once to two times a week. Um, But I was a part of that group and uh, her and I would just sort of hang out afterwards, you know, cleaning up the dishes and things like that. We just talk and hang out and um eventually we just started walking to chapel together um and sitting with each other in chapel. And so we had this friendship built up over the course of fall semester. And then when we um left and went our separate ways uh for Christmas break, uh, we both sort of realized that oh, I, I miss that person. Uh, and so when we got back from Christmas break, then um, that's when I asked her out and uh, she shared her testimony with me then. And uh, I came from a very small town, um, conservative, uh, grew up going to church. And so anything from Deanna's story is basically completely opposite of my experience. <laughs> and it was a big learning curve uh, for me, but, uh, you know, somebody I cared about and so I wanted to learn and uh, just figure out how I could best support her and uh, just at that time be a good boyfriend and eventually um, after a year of dating we got engaged then about six months later we got married. That's that's a great story and you're you're right uh, the, the from even I think the previous interview she was saying you were just completely different than she was and it's really interesting because um most couples, when you see them come together, they usually are opposites. I mean, and I think that complements one another. Uh, it makes up for some place where somebody else, uh, the other the other person doesn't have certain traits and, and things of that nature. Okay, so you guys, you guys get married, and now you're expecting twins. Uh, those are due, I think you said, in a couple of weeks, and we want to say congratulations to you guys on that. But what do you do day in and day out right now? Because... Um, you know, Deanna, you, you talked to, in the last interview that we had, you talked about how, you know, you would you would see certain testimonies of people to where um, it, maybe the, the mindset was, oh, they became a Christian and all this stuff just went away. And you had a you had a, a long you have, you've had a long process and that you still do it. And and we do today. I mean, the Bible tells us about our sanctification. It's, it's being conducted. We're being sanctified uh, daily. We've already been put aside uh, for for God and, and holiness. But daily he is he is clean. He is cleansing us. He is uh, refining us. He's remaking us. What's been the process in that? Because how, how many years have you been out of that life? Ten years. Wow. Wow. Just. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, what is the process in that? You talked about going to Refuge for Women. 
what happened after that? How I mean, obviously you went to school. Now you guys, Asbury College. This is where the the uh, famous revival took place, right? In our in our nation, and so uh, you 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 went there. That, I know that's a part of the process. Uh, obviously, you're very hospitable. You're going to cook for twenty or thirty people t- twice a week. See. Um, I hope the Lord gives you a bunch of kids uh, so that you guys can can do that in your home and invite people over and all that. But um, beyond the refuge for women, beyond going to, to seminary, what else has taken place in your life where you've had to learn these things as you've moved along away from that life? Yeah. Um, well, you're right in that it's it's a continual process. Like for me, if I'm not growing, I'm going backwards. And so my master's degree was actually in spiritual formation, and that's conforming to the image of Christ for the sake of others. And I think both of those are important because like any growth that happens for me is not just for the sake of my own growth. It's so that I can have an influence on and a world that's looking for for transformation and hope um, here in this life and not just in the future. And so for me, when I left Refuge for Women, I knew a few things. Like one is I had detoxed my mind. And and that was a huge part of um, any healing from, from uh, sexual trauma, addictions, and all that stuff is literally having to rewire your mind because even the subtlest music and television shows like keeps putting in these lies. Mm-hmm. So how do now that I have this mind and now that I have this relationship with God, how do I stay in the center of it and continue to do that? So I did things like Bible study fellowship, you know, constantly just um, growing in the word of God, having tons of older, wiser women around me um, who have a life and a family and the fruits of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit that I want to have in my life. Um, and not just the gifts, you know, the, the fruit, the actual fruit in their life. Um, so surrounding myself with people, continuing my recovery, because if I don't stay sober, I, I lose it all, right? And so the sober and my relationship, sobriety and re- my relationship with God go hand in hand. And then it was going to seminary. Um, you know, I just told them, like, whatever you guys teach me, like, I will be a grateful steward of the rest of my life. Like, this is not about a vocation for me. This is about a way of life. And if, if I'm going to transmit this new lo- new life and this new hope that I have, I, I need to understand it at a deeper level. And so that was kind of my motive for, for going to seminary and, and hopefully um, working towards my doctorate here. I mean, I'm going to take a break for a second, <laughs> but hopefully continue that journey. And everybody still asks, like, what are you, what are you going to do once you have your doctorate? And I'm like, the same thing. I'm just going to continue to share everything that I know with people. And, um, you know, Paul says in Philippians 3.16, um, only let us hold true to that which we have already attained. And so uh, to me that, like as as I obtain knowledge and understanding, like I live into that and then I grow and I attain more knowledge and understanding and then I grow. And it's just a continual process of letting go of things that are distracting me from being in the center of God's will and allowing him to do a new work in me constantly. And so even in our relationship, like one of the questions that I ask is, is, is this relationship bringing me closer to God? Like, um, is, is my formation continuing to grow? And I ask that every year, like my only goal every year is to be closer to God than I was the year before. No, I think those are good. I think those are good goals. I think those are good things to be, to be looking at. And, um, 
part of that, uh, you're talking about taking a break here. Uh, you know, when you when you have when you have children, that's going to eat up a lot of your time anyway. Uh, you're not going to be doing all the things that you you normally will. I mean, just just not. They they require all that. And you know, this is one of the things that um, I got in trouble for when I taught Sunday school. Uh, was I would go through the book of Titus. And in Titus chapter 2, it talks about, you know, like what you were saying a minute ago, the older women teaching the younger women. And it teaches them not only just to love their husbands and love their children, but it teaches them to be workers at home. Uh, it teaches them that that's what they are the heart of the home. Uh, and, and I think a lot of women have lost that. They've lost sight of that, that that is a good thing. And it's what, you know, God designed. I mean, he made women obviously physically different than he did men and he and the parts that he gave everything is to be in essence mothers and to raise godly seed i mean that's what he says he wants uh, from us so he's he's equipped women in that and um i i'm assuming your plans are going to be in that area to be with your children but i got into trouble uh not that i i didn't want young women educated or something like that i just said this ought to be your goal because 99 percent of women and men are going to marry. And in that, they create a home, and most of them are going to have children. And it's very important that they be the ones who raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, not the state. Um, and we've got all that so backwards. The women have been lied to about uh, their roles. The men have been lied to about their roles. It's it's an attack on the family. And um, I, I'm just I'm kind of curious. Have you guys talked uh, uh, any any things about children as far as what you're going to do as far as uh, teaching them, uh, being at home, and 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 raising it because it seems like you have the right mindset in that. Yeah, I think um, it's important for us to understand that that our kids are our our disciples. Like they are disciples that we're sending out into the world, and if we can get the family piece right, there's so many ministries that we wouldn't even need um, because they've are, they're already getting that at home. And so um, I think it just takes a lot of prayer and discernment as far as, um, you know, where your ministry shifts. And it's not that like I'm not, you know, people are like, well, now that you have kids, you're not going to be able to do ministry anymore. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, my children are my ministry. Like my family, like like our marriage is a ministry. People are watching. They want to see that, that you can honor one another, that there is kindness and communication. And it doesn't have to be these like hostile environments. And, you know, people are just really accepting of of a lot of things nowadays that we we just don't tolerate. And um, so I think for us, like, like, yeah, we spent, you know, well, he spent a long time getting his degree. I spent a little bit less time <laughs> getting my degree. His was 96 hours. Mine was only 60. Um, but like, like uh, the most important piece of paper that we have is that like marriage certificate. And, and that's going to do greater ministry than anything that our master or doctorate's degree is going to do. Um, but anything I learn in school, like I'm going to be teaching in my home. And so I think just each season understanding like where are we at and praying about the opportunities that are coming our way. And one beautiful way that we've seen it um, since I've, it's been a, a really hard pregnancy and, um, and it's, it's kind of been interesting timing because like I used to like speak at events or, or do this and that. And then all of a sudden I started doing podcasts, radio shows every week from home. And I'm like, well, how convenient is that? That I still get to be a witness, but take care of myself as I, as I'm growing my two little girls. 
And I just see God providing opportunities like that, that my children will be able to see that, that they are my number one ministry. But um, we also want to share what we have with others who don't have the same kind of family life. Yeah, I think that's very important. And I know it's, it's important to you because uh, of coming up in the, in the family that you came up in. And um, when, I, when I hear that, I think this is the positive kind of message that I wanted to focus on. And so let me kick it back over to you, Matt. Um, how are you seeing things there uh, in your own home? Uh, how are you seeing those things expand? Now, you guys, okay, how long have you guys been married? married it'll be four years in june okay four years so you've already grown a lot in that time and now you're fixing to bring in uh, twins there twin girls oh you know what god has a sense of humor uh <laughs> i'm telling you he does he does that to us guys um he gave me you know i i when my wife and i spoke about uh, children and stuff uh i i just said lord i'm not asking you for any children but if you can whatever you give me Give me the means to provide for him to take care of him and things. And, uh, but the, the funny thing is, is he gives me six girls and four boys. <laughs> so um, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of, I think he's just, I don't know. He's teaching me something about what I used to be and, um, and which wasn't very good. And in doing that, uh, I think he gives us those, those little girls to remind us of these things. And he's probably doing this to you, Deanna, too. You know, that these are, these are precious ones that you have uh, to take care of and you want to do things different than what, were, what was done for you. But Matt, when you're, when you're looking at this situation and you guys have come the route that you've come, speak to fathers out there. What would you say? Now, look, you're, you're a father. You're not waiting to be a father. You're a father now. God's given you children. Um, you're not waiting to have babies. You have babies. <laughs> and so what would you speak to to the men out there? Even speak to me, because, look, I wanted to learn something out of this, too. OK, um, what what is what is your focus there as dad in the home that you perceive yourself doing uh, and being to your wife? Um, yeah, it's interesting. Throughout this whole pregnancy, I think one of the things that have really has really, I don't know, stirred up in me or come out of me as just um more of a protector um uh role within our household um just keep making sure that Deanna and our girls are safe and well cared for um and so that's going to look differently for guys depending on what you're doing for a living uh but for me it's acknowledging with my work schedule and things like um I'm not going to be around uh, as much uh, a couple of days of the week. And so it's really harnessing in the time that I do get to spend with them. I'm making most of that. And then also um, being able to help Deanna out with this. Uh, like she's going to be the primary caregiver being home with them most of the time. But that's a lot for <laughs> a new mom to have two girls to take care of. Like I'm not going to put all that on her. And so it's taking much of an active role in caring for and raising uh, these two girls. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's great. Um, part of the thing though, that you can count on is, and I've seen some of the, the Facebook posts, you guys have a lot of, a lot of friends there. I'm assuming that's your church family, 
Um, and uh, you, you guys have a lot of women there. I'm sure that many of them are going to just be falling all over themselves to come and help, right? I mean, every woman wants to go hold new babies. Um, and so, And if they're friends, they, they just enjoy that time with you. It'll give you time to rest and recuperate. And by the way, uh, just as a side note, you know, we had half our children in the hospital, and half were born at home. We, we went the, the home route then, and the home was just so much better for mom and baby and recovery. In recovery, I mean, no poking every two or three hours and all this stuff. It's it's really good, but I'm sure that you'll have people there um, who will come over and be a part of that. And this is part of what we what we talk about um, out of First John, where we talk about we demonstrate our love. And I think that's what that is. This is these are things people used to do all the time, and uh, now many families are fractured. Uh, moms are left to themselves. There's there's single moms or single dads. Uh, they're struggling. Sometimes they're having to, you know, just leave kids with anybody. No help in, in that in that uh, scenario. And you set an example for that. And you go, well, Tim, why are you making such a big deal of this? Um, you know, because some people are probably listening now going, well, what's the point of, of this? This is a couple and they're having some kids. Yeah, but it's the background that it comes out of. Look at, you know, what was the thing that is said? The beauty comes out of ashes. And uh, so one of the things that... Uh, uh, you're doing there is like what you said, the ministry is just in your life. We've already seen it. Uh, obviously we're in a, a really strange time right now. Um, but we've already seen like our village just come and surround us. And, um, like we knew that people were going to like help with meals and stuff. Like once the baby was born, but, uh, I've pretty much been on bed rest since before everything started in our, in our nation. And, um, so I've been at, I've been literally at home on the couch for, for weeks now. And, um, and Matt sometimes works 12 hour shifts and stuff. And, and so like he cooks on some days and then, uh, um, I can't stand for very long right now because my, my back, but, um, and people are just dropping off meals, uh, at our house, uh, just in case, you know, uh, they're dropping off formula. If, if I were to need to suppl- supplement, um, they're dropping off like burp cloths. And, and so like our village is already surrounding us before these girls are born. And, and that's really the kind of life I want them to see is that we live in like a, this family of Christ, like this community, um, that we don't have to do things by ourselves. We don't have to rely on ourselves. Like we genuinely are like helping to, to raise one big godly family. Yeah, I think that is something that uh, the country needs to see and needs to hear uh, in this time. Because, again, we're seeing the attack on the family. Uh, I've talked about this on several occasions. And this is really where, uh, when people look at the planks of communism, if you will, well, it's really the doctrines of demons. And the first thing they want to do is they want to take dad out of the picture. They want to destroy the family. They want to lie to the woman. They want the state to be their their husband, their father, all of these kinds of things, and they want to control the children. And it's it it's like the direct opposite of what God says that our family should be. And so I'm glad to see that you guys are doing that. Now um there's something else that I wanted to to ask and uh and that is again going on with this uh refuge for women deal. What how have you been a, have you been able to help other people come out i'm just going back just a little bit have you been able to help any of any of the other women maybe that you worked with before or anybody in that industry 
to come out into Refuge for Women at all? Yeah. Um, okay. So, like I said, one of the things that women struggle with is that identity crisis, right? And and it takes some time. I don't know if you are familiar with Jessica Joy and her ministry. I, um, I don't know her. I don't know her. Okay. Well, she's a big fan of yours. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, she, she is friends with, um, someone that I used to know in the industry and, um, and while that, the, that woman, um, isn't interested in in getting out or, you know, she started, uh, a different kind of life. Like she's been kind of like this underground railroad for women, um, kind of deciphering like when women are ready and then bringing them to me. Well, I used to talk to her on the phone and she was like, you know, in a few days, I'm, I'm going to completely become this person and I'm going to lose myself forever. And so I talked to her and then like, again, didn't hear from her for a year. We all were praying and praying. Um, and then one night I hear from her and she's like, I'm driving up there now. I don't, I know that you guys don't have a bed. I will sleep on the floor. I'm, I'm on my way. And she drove, I think from like Colorado and I met her at a restaurant and, um, and, you know, so, some of the reason that I, I tell certain parts of my story is because it gives validity to other women who are like, okay, if you were this far in the industry and were able to come out, like maybe there's hope. And so she came out and had dinner with me and she, you know, couldn't believe some of the things that I left behind that seemed maybe more, um, I don't know, harder to leave behind. And And she did. She slept on the floor until a bed was open. And she went through the program, um, I think had decided maybe that she wasn't completely ready, went out for a little bit and then came back and just went through the whole program. And now she is at like state capitals every single day. She just goes from state to state lobbying um, for the things that she believes in and trying to kind of make up for some of the damage from before. And, and that, was, that was neat to see because, again, it's a process. It, it didn't happen overnight. But she came. No, that's that's great, Jessica Joy. I'll have to I have to look her up because I don't, I don't know. I'm not familiar with her. But uh, in any case, thank you for sharing that. Now, I want to ask a little bit from your perspective, and I don't know if I may be. And I, I mentioned this to um, to Andre that I might I might bring this up with you, and I don't know how much you guys follow things in the news and stuff like this. But when you when you see something like um, uh, what's been reported on with the Jeffrey Epstein. And these, you know, they, they make mention of them that they're, they're uh, young girls. And they, the term gets thrown around about uh, pedophilia. And usually that's to, to speak of um, children who are prepubescent, not even teenagers. We'll, we'll call them underage or we'll call them minors, whatever. Mm-hmm. But when you see those stories... Does it bring back any memories of what you went through at all? Do you believe that that is in essence what he was engaging in there. <laughs> um, yeah. So what that reminds me of is, okay, so I worked for what we'll call the professional porn industry, right? There there's backyard porn, like a lot of like stuff that goes on there. But for the most part, the area that I worked in was, was technically legal. Right. Um, but what that brings to mind is all the companies that I work for that fit, that's purposefully look for girls fresh out of high school who look prepubescent with braces and a whole bunch of other features. And they film that so that they can um, capture the, the market for that. 
And so while it's technically legal, they're feeding a demand that is perpetuating this type of behavior. And so it doesn't really surprise me that, um, that it does seem almost acceptable to some people. Because once you go down that road, like more and more things start becoming acceptable. And so that's kind of what it reminds me of is, is just seeing a lot of that. Um, while they were technically 18, they made sure that they looked like they were prepubescent. Yeah, I've heard um, several uh, testimonies of some people who left the industry and they were just disgusted to even be put in roles like that because uh, I think it was something about playrooms and things like this. And uh, and it was it was just it just disgusted even them uh, with what was going on there. When when you see that though, this this has to bring back um, a lot of those those kinds of things because I'm I'm sure um, it's very difficult in the things that you see there. And I've got people in the house talking here, um, but I, I know that that's got to be a difficult thing. Do you do you think this is something that needs to be at the forefront? I mean, we look we we're murdering babies in this country. Uh, you know, 300 and something thousand a year. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And they're taking our money to do it. It's unlawful, not only to murder the babies, but to take our money to do it. And overall, there's silence over it. I mean, I just, I just, I don't understand that at all. But what about this issue here when we're dealing with um, the, uh, the, 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 basically the slave market, if you will, the sex slave market and, and including children and things like that. This needs to be a priority to deal with in our country, too. And, of course, we, we need to bring justice. Uh, as Bradley says, justice guards our liberty. Uh, but we also have to have a remedy for that. And part of that is in the gospel. I mean, it's what the gospel is. The gospel, uh, we don't have good news without the bad news. This is wrong. Um, you're guilty of this. And we've got to bring justice in this area. But then the gospel. And so do you see any of that uh, playing a part? You talked about your friend going to, to state capitals. Uh, and lobbying those guys. Uh, is this something that you see that needs to be uh, taking place even more in our country? Yeah, I think um, I think everybody has, has a part to play, a role to play. Um, my friend who's going to the state capitals, like she, I think, works on passing bills that are against like cell phone technology and, and breaking through with porn and stuff like that. Mm. Um, for me, I think uh, a big part of my role is helping to helping people to make connections um, that they're, they're not otherwise making. So for me, what I'm seeing is a world full of social media where girls younger and younger are taking pictures um, that are not saying like, Hey, this, this is what God's doing in my life that, that are pointing to themselves. And the reason that scares me so much is because that's exactly what predators are looking for. If, if they can sense that you like any sort of attention, that will become one of the most addicting things for you. And that's what they will prey on to get you into the industry. And, and girls are starting with that younger and younger. And so I think as parents just monitoring, like, you know, my, my child's Facebook page, is it, is it to bring attention to herself or is it to bring attention to something bigger? Because, um, just something as simple as that can start working against, um, against all of that. Yeah, I think it can too. Um, I've often noticed, uh, there are, uh, women who will friend me. I don't usually, I, I usually friend people after I've, you know, been engaged in an interview with them or something like that, uh, or people that I know. And usually it's for, usually it's for a communication issue. Uh, but I'll have <clears throat> these women who want to friend me 
And it's like they're all about taking their picture. And so a lot of times it's a scam. They're, it's not even a real, well, it's a real person, but they're doing it to get something from you, and I won't even accept their friend request. So I always try to make sure that the people are genuine and real. But I see that too. And I see it's, it's, so, it's so sad. It's not even just the young ladies. It's older women doing this. And, again, we go back to Scripture. You know, it talks about not, uh, you know, making the, 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 the focus on the outward appearance, but on, you know, a quiet heart and uh, one that honors God. And we've, we're lo- we've lost that. And I think that's good advice that you say that, you know, parents should be checking out and seeing what goes on there. Uh, with these selfies, and that's become a whole thing in and of itself, a, a whole industry there. Um, and I think you've given some wise words. These would be things that, that parents would be wise to notice in their in their daughters uh, that make them susceptible to this and to keep an eye on you know, who they're hanging out with and things. I think those are wise words. Yeah. But you you've given some uh, some posts and uh, and and I, I because I, I tried to friend you and I guess you guys have a protection there for you yeah. about people on Facebook. And I understand that. Um, but I went through the post and it's real. It's just so neat because when you told the story and for those uh, who are who are who will be watching, we're going to have the initial uh, interview up so they can listen because. It dealt more with everything that's in your book, uh, that that lifestyle and all the stuff. And I didn't really want to get into a lot of that today, but they'll be able to look at that. But when you go to your Facebook page, it's almost it's everything that's there is for that thing that's something that's that's bigger. It's always referencing scripture, and I'm like, this is a woman who went from this to this. Um, and I get this honestly. Um, I, I get this picture, you know, Mary Magdalene. She was in a very similar lifestyle for that day. And she comes out, and what's she doing? I mean, <laughs> she's washing Jesus' feet with her tears, drying his feet with her hair, comes in and, and breaks the bottle of ointment, you know, to, to prepare his body for, for burial. And everybody's pointing the finger. Why would you let that woman do that? Don't you know what she's been doing? This, And, you know, Jesus told him, he said, it's people like this that's going to enter the kingdom before all you religious hypocrites. And um, and I think it's such an amazing thing because I was talking the other day about um, the fact that we say we believe in the God of the Bible, but then we don't act like he still does the things today that he did in the Old and New Testaments. And I think uh, I think your story is a prime example that he does do the same things he did then because he hasn't changed. Yeah. You want to comment on that? I- yeah, I think that goes back to just the the remembering part. Like, remember what I have delivered you from. Because um, I think when we stop remembering what he's delivered us from, no matter, like, what that looks like, um, we instead of becoming grateful, we become entitled. And, um, you know, I think Richard Rohr is the one that says, like, like, our lives should be a passionate thank you back to God. And so for me, it's like, like, everything I do is an offering. If it's my homework, it's an offering back to God. If it's, you know, serving my house, it's an offering back to God. And so um, I think I, I do. I just think it has to come from a place of gratitude. Otherwise, we start becoming um, and it's okay to be expectant of God. Like we can go boldly before God. I'm very honest with him. Um, but at the same time, like I know that he is God and, and I know what he can do. And I think that, um, in telling our stories, uh, and, and you have to be cautious of where and when, cause I used to just tell it all the time and, and that wasn't the way to go either. Um, 
but just knowing like when and where to share which parts of yourself and your, your faith and your testimony. And, um, and I think that involves being in an abiding relationship constantly, you know, listening to him, listening to what's in front of you and, and seeing how that comes together and letting the, the Holy spirit work through that. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a good thing. Um, I want to throw one more thing over at Matt. <laughs> and uh, what I want to ask you is, because your life was so different from hers, most people would look and say, okay, well, um, you know, you didn't have this and you weren't into that. And I'm just going to assume you're a pretty good old boy. I, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, what, what are the things that you see um, that, you know, some people would look at Deanna's story and they would say, wow, you know, this is, a like I was saying, a tremendous transformation that you can see. But there's also people who have been raised in godly homes. Uh, their parents have followed Deuteronomy 6, and they've, they've uh, raised their children in the nurture admonition of the Lord. What is it for you that you see? Um, because I think it's just important that people hear that story. And we've got about two minutes here. Tell people a little bit about how you see God has worked in your life for his glory. Yeah, so I think one of the biggest things is that, like, growing up, um, just people that would have been raised how Deanna was raised, like, I would have been just, like, that's their choice, that's their problem, like, they can't help themselves. Um, but meeting Deanna and um, just growing in a relationship with her uh, has also grown me in a relationship with God. And that sort of points to what she said earlier is like, be with somebody who's going to um, grow you closer to God as well. Um, and so all that being said, uh, one of the things I've just seen is how powerful God can work in somebody's life. Um, and so it's just been one of those things that him uh, bring, bringing her into my life the way he did uh, is just giving me more grace and compassion for those who are uh, lost and hurting, just don't know um, him. And uh, it's just been very eye-opening um, and just really love and spirit-filled experience. Amen. To piggyback on that, I think yeah, one we of got, the- We got about 30 seconds. Got about 30 seconds. Go ahead. One of the things that I have learned is for people who have decided to follow God um, and, and have not strayed, I think that testimony is just as powerful and supernatural. Just trust God at his word and say, yes, I believe and not have to have these experiences. So I think both testimonies are, are pretty powerful. I agree. And that's why I wanted to bring that in. I don't want to say that God, God doesn't have to work any harder to save one than he does the other. I appreciate both of you coming on, Matt. Great to meet you for the first time too. 23 hours. We'll be back with you. Um, the, be sure to check out the archive. It'll be up on sonsoflibertymedia.com. We'll have the previous interview on there if you want more in that. And you can also pick up a book, Purchased, Leaving the Sex Trade. Till then, see ya. <laughs>